0: Receipts live show at Tudum.com slash W-H-T-R. That's Tudum, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash we have the receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary, The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes.
0: There was more to this person that met the eye.
1: Family. Orphan girl rejections. The general. This person was so important. Question marks. Mysteries. Today, we're talking to director Emma Cooper. Marilyn Monroe's glamorous, complicated life made her an icon of the screen and a celebrity cautionary tale. Her tragic death spawned conspiracies and rumors leading all the way to the White House, and which Hollywood legends are made of, securing her unique place in history. In The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, we hear audio tapes from interviews done for a 1980s biography... In them, the people closest to Marilyn share in their own words, their observations on her personality, her career, her emotional challenges, and change the narrative of the night she died. What I learned was information that changed completely what we thought we knew about her mysterious death and who suggests that the circumstances of her dying
0: was covered up.
1: Emma Cooper, welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Would you say you were an unlikely choice to direct a documentary about Marilyn Monroe? Quite possibly because I didn't have much
0: knowledge about Marilyn Monroe and I had never watched any of her films and I knew vague things about her life. Um, But yeah, I didn't know much about her.
1: So how did you feel about her once you got to know her? Um,
0: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sitting here, it's three years on since I started making a film about Marilyn Monroe, and now I'm sitting here and I have a tattoo of her on my arm. So I think it went pretty, I think it went pretty deep.
1: (laughs) I think it's fair to say there's a generation or two or three that know about Marilyn, of her status as a sex symbol, of that Andy Warhol print, of her celebrity, but they don't know a lot about uh, the substance of her life and her career, of her career as an actress, right? Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, in, in, in all
0: seriousness, Tony, the, the, the lead journalist was always quite amazed that I didn't know that much about her. And I suppose, you know, I am in my forties, you know, I, I probably should know more about her than I do. But I think it's really interesting that there's a younger generation. In fact, there's probably two or three generations beneath me who really don't know much about her, who, who know the, the image of her in the white dress and know her as a sort of a beautiful image that you see wherever you go around the world. She's very recognizable. But honestly, this film is really for those generations, it's for everybody, but it's really for those generations that could really immerse themselves in her, in her life, and, and and learn things about what happened to her in her life that maybe older people know, but I'm not entirely sure that younger people do.
1: I think younger people also don't realize that to ascend to her level of celebrity at that time the idea of triple threat had to be built in. You know, you had to be beautiful. You had to be able to sing. You had to be able to dance. And you had to be able to act. And she could do all of those things very, very well, which I think a lot of people are surprised by, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's bizarre, really, that people maybe don't, She kind of carries a weight around with her that she's a dumb blonde. Um, Again, quite helpful to come to it without those preconceptions about her. And, you know, the voices of the people who knew her and who directed her and who, and who acted alongside her are just full of abundance about how diligent she was, how talented she was, how serious she took this all. You know, she was a very, very professional, modern woman at a time when that level of modernity was not necessarily the usual trajectory of, of an actress in Hollywood.
1: Hmm. And unfortunately, she was young, very famous, and she wasn't supposed to die when she did and how she did. And that, of course, uh, added to her legacy. What do you think that, like, lent to her enduring legacy? I
0: mean, I I describe her as an, an enigma um, I very early on in the process of, of of preparing for the film I went to Hollywood I visited her grave to sort of have some kind of you know conversation with her in the ether um, and I at the same time met one of her biographers who said to me you know strap yourself in you know th- nobody who gets involved with Monroe doesn't become obsessed and, and, and it, she takes over and, and she did in life and she does in death. And I think that there's something about her quality of sort of a translucent character. Um, and she wore her her emotions quite close to the surface. And I think from watching lots of her films and from watching lots of archive of her, you can really see that, you know, her emotions are are, are close to the surface of her and this sometimes meant that she could be incredibly single-minded in a scene or incredibly single-minded and professional within a movie set but that also meant that she showed vulnerability uh, and she showed pain and she showed laughter and love and all of those things and so I think all of those elements bound up in one very unusual person who died in their 30s becomes a star like she was a star she continues to be a star and there's something so enigmatic about her and about her legacy that i think just sets her apart from everybody else and continues to 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 all
1: generations coming up so this film does center around anthony summers uh the biographer who had this large trove of audio tapes that he collected during his research decades ago how did you meet him So Tony is a famous,
0: um, uh, you know, writer and journalist, and I met him because we'd worked on another story together. Um, And in the process of that, Tony being Tony was very, very keen that that I, you know, uh, looked at other books of his. Um, and and he gave to me and the team um, a book this book about Marilyn Monroe that he'd written in the early 80s so I wasn't exactly rushing to read it and also it being Tony and his forensic uh, attitude uh, towards uh, investigative journalism it's like about 800 pages long <laughs> so I wasn't going to read it in a night um, and I and I, it sat on my shelf and I and I just suddenly thought one day I wasn't feeling very well I was at home and I started to read it and over the weekend I thought, there is stuff in here buried away that I don't know about. And so I talked to Tony about it and I went over to Ireland to spend some time with him and started listening to some of the tapes. And I realised that there was a film to be made. But I did find evidence the circumstances of her death had been deliberately covered up. Um, If you then say to me, why were those circumstances covered up? I would say that what the evidence suggests is that it was covered up because of her, her connection with the Kennedy brothers. At that point, I didn't know what kind of film it would be and I didn't know how long it would take. Uh, and I didn't know there would be a pandemic in the middle of it. So, so that's, how, that's how we met.
1: Well, I want to talk about that process. First of all, this had to require hundreds of hours of listening. Um, How did you go about cataloging what you heard and deciding, you know, how to how to which sections really to use? I mean, it it took a very long time. Um, Me and the co-producer,
0: Eloise Vanstone, we actually ended up sitting in a in, in a cafe in London, just off Tottenham Court Road. And we sat there and we drank endless cups of tea and we listened to, we pretty much listened to everything. It took nearly a year. Um, And we started categorising it in areas of her life, as you say, but but each time we separated the strands out, we kept on coming back to the book. So in the end, we we stuck fairly faithfully to the narrative arc of the book. But also I had plenty of things as a female filmmaker that I wanted to say about her. And I wanted to say through those tapes, which was challenging because I'm using people who knew... Uh, Marilyn in the the 50s and 60s and who were interviewed in the 80s so I was looking for a level of modernity that maybe uh, was I had to dig for it I had to look for it Uh, whereas if I'd made a documentary that interviewed a lot of modern people who had never met her about her modernity it probably would have been a different kind of proposition. It probably wouldn't have taken so long, but I wanted to stick to the sources that we had.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because you didn't actually conduct these interviews. It's a very meta process. Did you find yourself wondering, like, I would have asked this if I had had the chance? All the time. Yeah.
0: All the time. You know, this is The last documentary about Marilyn Monroe, which is populated exclusively by people who could reach out and touch her, who knew what it was like to be in the same room as her, who knew what it was like to put her clothes on, to do her makeup, to do her hair, to hold her, to touch her. Um, And I found that extraordinary. And I threw out all of the things that I was going to do Uh, in terms of making a documentary about her. I threw it all out the window once I'd listened a lot to those tapes because I didn't think that anybody else should be in it. You know, Anthony is there as a as a a guide because he conducted the interviews. But I really, really wanted to stick to her world, and 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 in so doing, I wanted her to become the main character in her own documentary, which I'm hoping we succeeded in 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 this. Um, But yes, it meant that I couldn't say to people. Gosh, wasn't it absolutely amazing that she was one of the first women to set up their own company, uh, in their own production company in Hollywood? I, I, I had no way of 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 showing how modern I think she is as a woman living in the 2020s, but it was all there. It was there. It was there. And and the editor Gregor did an amazing job helping me build up the archive of her. To show to show who she was as a multi dimensional person, and not just you know the Marilyn Monroe who's on postcards.
1: of course, you had just audio and no video, and we've seen films where there have been artistic decisions all over the place, using animation, using scrolling B-roll, using shadow recreations. You actually chose to use actors doing lip synced, um, you know, acting out the scenes of these interviews. Tell me about that choice and how you actually pulled that off. We did that right at the end, um, after we'd strung
0: out the whole film. And again, I wanted this film to be very immersive. And if you're looking at the written word of these people, and you're looking at a tape going around, which we do sometimes use, you just can't step inside that world. And I really, really wanted people to feel like they were in the same car or room as Tony in the early 80s in California. Well, Marilyn was, told me that there was a, a new man in her life.
1: And what did she have to say, sir? No, that he was just, you know, you know, really terrific, and he was really neat. And, you know,
0: cute and I mean, it was a kind of, I mean, I remember was just girly talk. It was girly talk. And so we did a few tests of actors lip syncing with the tapes. The actors told me afterwards it's a very difficult thing to yeah. do. And I didn't realize I'm not an actor. So I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. Uh, it's very difficult. They all did amazingly and they rehearsed so well. But one thing I must say is that every single person was cast to look like the person that they represent. So we went round digging out old photographs of what these people look like. So I didn't just cast people on their ability. To look <laughs> sick? No, they also had to look like the characters that they were inhabiting, and sometimes we only had one photograph of them because they weren't all famous. Um, so, so it was a it was a double proposition. But um, yeah, it was it was it was great fun. It was it was weird doing it. We 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 shot it in the gosh, we shot it during lockdown um, uh, in 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 the January, and you know we would had we were on set and in all of these houses and dressing them and and all of the crew it was a very very ghost like thing to do because we had these people's voices piping out through the whole set and i remember some of the you know the grips and the and and the sound guys just saying to me this is really spooky like mm. all these people are dead like these are all ghosts coming alive um, and and in a way that is what this film is it's a it's a mass seance and it's you know bringing Marilyn Monroe back to life through you know ghost voices of people that knew her you mm. know it's an extraordinary cast of, of, of primary
1: source material. Um what struck you about what Marilyn's friends said about her early years as she was a rising star? I found those interviews so interesting. Yeah, I
0: mean it, it, again, I really valued the fact that this was close female relationships. You know, not not saying that everything was good and not ever saying that everything was bad just being very factual about the choices that she was making and the people that she was hanging around with and and how she was getting into that society which I love about her and I think that younger women would hopefully love that about her she was very focused you know she knew what she was doing and she knew that there was a pathway to success and she she didn't just you know deploy her talents in doing so she she did everything she networked she did everything. She did everything that the Instagram generation do now, which is what I also love about her. Um and I think that those women and those friends are very tender towards her while also acknowledging the truths about her childhood.
1: Did you see her in the in the time of her deterioration which was the last year or so? Did you she she seemed a little bit um she she seemed concerned about you. You know, like childhood memories of being molested as a child and things like that. She's talking about that as late as that in her life. She talked about that, I remember.
0: And introducing to us facts about her insecurities and her struggles to become this star, um, hmm. which feel very truthful and very honest and kind of start us off
1: understanding the reasons why she did some of the things that she did. Hmm. So one of the most important figures in Marilyn's life was her psychiatrist uh, Ralph Greenson and although Tony never got to interview him his family knew Marilyn and and shared their views with him and he called those interviews Gold dust. Mm. Um, did you find them as valuable as he did? Because I, I certainly found them completely fascinating.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tony was allowed to see some of the psychological notes and conclusions that Ralph Doctor Doctor Greenson drew about her from from seeing her in therapy every day. He saw her every single day um, for a series of years inside their home and she was a part of their family and i think that for me again there was a level of factual truth which i was really drawn to you know here was a psychological study of a woman who people spend a lot of time discussing and and blending her into conspiracy theories Um, And A, I felt very unfettered from conspiracy theories because I don't know very much about them. And and B, here was a very grounding analysis of some of her behaviours that to me didn't feel like snooping. They feel like drawing very fair conclusions in a very open and honest way and in a way that we would all talk now about mental health. Uh, So I found it incredibly illuminating when going into looking at her relationships with men and her romantic relationships and being able to drill down and say, well, you know, she's, you know, suffered from abandonment issues. She suffered from attachment issues. And rather than that feel like conjecture and rumour, I feel like it demystifies some of her Behavior in a way that I feel gives her a a, a kindness, hopefully towards her.
1: Yeah, I also was really struck by you know the women in those interviews. His wife, in particular, really describing her in a very sort of feminist way. That I really, I I I see what you mean when you said you were looking for those moments, right? Because they describe her talking about her relationships. They're not judgmental. It seems very much grounded in a modern view of a woman who is complicated, not particularly ill, but normal and on the spectrum of mental health as we see it today. I, I really, really see that. And her participation in the daily life of that family really seems to have made a difference in, in many ways, but it's also very unusual, right?
0: Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think Dr. Greenson realized that she didn't have a family and that she needed a family to be able to, to, to figure herself out. And, and to your point, it's so important to me that you recognized that because one narrative about Marilyn is that she was crazy and difficult and a drug addict and all of these things and from the testimony of that family and from testimony of her friends I saw somebody who now would simply be called a woman
1: Hmm.
0: and people would understand far more some of her behaviours because she did have a traumatic childhood. I can't change that. But what I can see in that is that that led her to have great single-mindedness in her career. And it also meant that she fell prey to the wrong kind of men.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, And she had you know, weaknesses and vulnerabilities and strengths and all these wonderful things that now you're just a woman. You're a woman. We are all of these things. You know, okay, not all of us have quite as pronounced mental health issues as she did. And I'm sort of loath to call them issues. You know, things that were, her, her, her makeup yeah. um, was what it is to be a woman. And now we are allowed to say, I don't feel good, or I'm in a toxic relationship, or I, I have attachment issues. Um, she was not allowed that. She was, it was not those days. And I, and, and, I, and I feel that, yes, her ability to see in herself the things that she needed to get ordered to get better yeah. It's extraordinary thing, you know? Uh but instead in those days all of that stuff was seen as a weakness in her where we would say she was trying to help herself get better and yeah. become a more a more middle grounded woman. So yes, I think that she's a very modern woman in that way.
1: You do really tackle some big American sacred cows in this story. The Kennedys, Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn Monroe herself. I'm curious, uh, is being British very freeing when you uh, are approaching stories of these American icons and, you know, showing these grittier sides and these, you know, less pleasant sides of them through these tapes?
0: You know what? I actually never considered it the whole time. (laughs) Well, then the the answer is yes. The whole time I was making it,
1: I didn't ever
0: think about that. And now I stand back uh, and see it going out all around the world. I think, oh gosh, Um, you know, I definitely had... A slightly different perspective on those on those great American kind of heroes, um, and and I think I didn't come with very much knowledge, and you know take that as you will. I really don't know very much about JFK and Bobby Kennedy, you know, uh, and I think that it was helpful. I did absolutely love Arthur Miller and his one of his books Time Bends his autobiography was one of my favorite books i thought he was amazing so it that was a very deep section to realize that he um was psychologically very tricky with her, mm. that they were psychologically not good for each other, mm. was, was, was sad for me to realise that because I'm a great fan of his work. But um, I think it's helpful, I hope it's helpful that I don't come to any of these people, apart from him, um, with, with, with very much baggage and without a fixed idea of what they need to be.
1: Hmm. well of course part of Marilyn's legend is that she was the most beautiful actress in the world and she did have these relationships with John and Bobby what did you learn about how she came into their orbit
0: well I, I mean I learned a lot about how they approached women should we start it from there mm, Yeah. <laughs> rather than it being about her Peter would obviously be you know sort of pimping for for both
1: candidates if the wives could be in the other room and and many times were, you know. While jumping about with a lady in another room. Yeah. I mean, I
0: found a hand at my desk. The president's in Um, I learned a lot about how they approach women alongside their father. Um, and you know, women were often seen as prizes for the three of them. Um, and so why would Marilyn Monroe be any different? And they were certainly in the same orbit, um, you know, via Peter Lawford, um, at the house in California and Frank Sinatra was around, you know, it was a big glittering, glamorous Intermarried group. Um, so I guess they would meet and maybe affairs would have happened because, you know, they were the people that those things happened to.
1: So some of the sources Anthony uses to corroborate details uh, of the affairs are, you know, gentlemen with shady backgrounds, shall we say?
0: Music, people talking, and I then beginning to recognize the voices the Bostonian accent, and Marilyn Monroe. I heard the president call Marilyn, Marilyn, or Marilyn calling the president
1: Prez. Did you find what they said about having audio tapes of Kennedy in particular and Marilyn to be credible? One of the brilliant things about
0: Tony's way of working is that every source is corroborated, Every person has been interviewed several times. You know, those wiretappers were not easy for him to get access to. And those wiretappers live in other people's stories. You know, if you're going to do a film about JFK, a lot of those wiretappers are also in the, the film and books about JFK and about Bobby and about Frank Sinatra and about the mob you know they were a cabal of wiretappers what wiretapping just seems such a thing in the in the 50s and 60s um and and these guys live in in history in very many of these stories so they were pretty simple
1: it was time consuming but it was simple to check out that they were authentic i'm always curious about you know these alleged um, relationships they say that actors and other people had with, you know, their so-called communist friends, you know, because aren't they just friends? <laughs> because everybody that, mid- that mid-century period, you could say had communist ties because, you know, flirting with communism was a thing that in the yeah. middle of the century a lot of people did. It yeah. was, you know, it wasn't before it was communism. Yeah. It was just communism, yeah. right? Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs>
0: but I think that there's there's no doubting that that she was pretty left leaning in her politics yeah. she was she was liberal and you know it would it would seem from the testimony of the greensons and other people that the kennedys were quite happy talking to her about you know nuclear testing and 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 you know bomb threats which is just a bit, as Tony says, it's a bit loose-lipped. It's not the most sensible thing in the world. Um, She may have been a woman of great integrity, but she was also the biggest star in the world. You probably wouldn't just casually chat about, Mm. you know, things like that at the time, which which were of, you know, great government secrecy and importance.
1: Such a power move, huh? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So your film does... Reframe a bit of the story around Marilyn 's death. Um, can you remind us what is the official story of what happened the night that Marilyn Monroe died? Well, the
0: official story is that she was you know she was found you know like the Elton John song that we that we know so well um, you know that she was found naked in bed uh, by her housekeeper in the early hours of the morning. Um, and that they broke in and they found her and she was dead in bed of um, an overdose. Um, So that's the perceived timeline. You know, that's that's the version that songs have been written about.
1: So can you explain the significance of the interview with the ambulance driver in your film? Because he does change the whole timeline of yeah. the night of her death. Yeah. And, and just to be
0: clear, there's more than one ambulance driver. You know, mm-hmm. we're not taking witness testimony from only one person. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a, a jigsaw timeline that, that Tony managed to put together by people who were there. Um, And we, he, I should say, Tony, um, tracked down a handful of ambulance drivers who all said that they went to Marilyn Monroe's house in the prior to midnight on the night that she died. And that they took her away in an ambulance.
1: And that she died in the ambulance. And that they took her back to the house. That was what he told me. She died on the way and the ambulance was turned around and brought her body back. Right.
0: Which is not something that is widely known or has been talked about. And it changes the whole timeline of that night.
1: So they say that they took her away and then they brought her back? Yes. Yes. I'm just, it, it just adds so many layers of questions to the story, right? Like, why, the why. Like, did someone tell them to bring her back? Did she ask to go back? Was there any more information there about the whys of, of that timeline? Um, well, it, it, we, we have a witness, John
0: Sherlock, who um, knew Dr. Greenson, who was in the ambulance with her and who was there that night. Um, and she apparently... Um, according to those witness statements she died on the way to the hospital Mm. and this is when the intrigue starts to happen they took her back and they put her back into bed which always i find just such a terribly upsetting you know element um of it um you know that's not it's it's not respectful and, and it just kind of skews everything that, that that had happened to her prior to that time, and 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 really to just step away for conspiracy theory, um, she was taken back to bed and there was a precious few hours for you know certain famous people to just get away from a major major Hollywood star being dead.
1: That's really interesting. And it's also a way to find her where it's like no one's fault, right? Except your own. I mean, that's that's something that I kept thinking about as well. Yes. So the question has long been whether Marilyn died by suicide, by homicide or by accident. Uh, What does the evidence point to? I mean again to me I, you know
0: I must tell you I'm I'm so unfettered by the conspiracy theories I know various things about people saying things about syringes and you know I've looked at all I've looked at all the autopsy I've you know I've I've looked at everything I've looked at all the evidence I don't think anybody will ever know um it was very important for me to put into the film the fact that she had ongoing, long problems with insomnia. Again, such a thing that we all spend, you know, in this century, we spend billions of pounds on our insomnia. We spend endless time talking about our insomnia. Our insomnia is is responsible for so many things, breakdowns of jobs, marriages. It's not a simple thing. If you suffer from severe insomnia, she suffered from terrible insomnia and she took... You know, uppers and downers to to get around that, and her tolerance for that um, was high, and she still couldn't sleep, and I think that that's just such a huge um, p- part of this puzzle. Um, you know, that, that, that she took a lot of things because she needed to. Um, so if I was going to come down in any way, and I don't really like doing this because I, I'm not sure it's the right thing to do, but, but for me, all the evidence suggests that it was accidental.
1: So in the years after her death, the studio system obviously changed. Uh, performers had a lot more control over the direction of their careers, although, of course, we know Hollywood has never been great uh, with aging actresses. But the 70s and 80s did offer opportunities for grittier roles and, and richer roles, even for stars of Marilyn's Day. I can think of Catherine Hepburn acting, you know, well into her older uh, years. Do you think if Marilyn had lived that long, she would have been remembered for something more than that subway grate blowing up? Up her dress. And Absolutely. You
0: know, y- y- you wonder how much more and, you know, what she could have done. She was extraordinarily well read. She was a brilliant actress. She was a brilliant character actress. You know, she was a brilliant comedic actress. And also, you know, if I uh, if, if, if I may say, I, I I feel that there's a very sort of male view of Marilyn at the end of her life, that she was hysterical, out of control, dumped you know, trying to get everybody's attention. I actually don't see it like that. I see somebody who was angry and was trying to get help and was able to walk away from those men when they didn't want her anymore and was angry and showed her anger in those last few phone calls. Um, And that this is a woman who acknowledged that she needed help and she was getting help and she was getting to know herself. So I think that she would have had an amazing later life. I don't think she would ever have been the most completely, um, you know, single-minded uh, grounded person in the whole world she was Marilyn Monroe she was full of fantastic eccentricities but I think she did an awful lot of work on herself which many many people didn't do in the late 50s and the early 60s so I think she would have become a, a, a serious but wonderful actor and that she was a kind loving you know wonderful person full of humour and and was incredibly maternal uh, and all of those things would have come out in her in her career
1: what I'm hearing you say, you know, Marilyn Monroe is held up as this unmatched beauty who lived this glamorous, tragic life. But if you take Hollywood out of it, you take the Kennedys out of it, you take her death out of it, I'm hearing you say she sounds like a relatable woman.
0: Totally, totally. I find her extraordinarily relatable. Um, and I really, really hope that younger women watch this and see this too. Um, I think she was ahead of her time in acknowledging her own emotions and allowing some of her, her uh, all of the different facets of herself to be seen in a way that, you know, post-Second World War wasn't really allowed. Well, it's totally allowed now. I think she's amazingly... I think she's amazingly relatable, too, um, and I hope, that, I, I hope that women around the world can see themselves and their own struggles and their own hopes and dreams
1: in, in, in the version of her that is in my film. Well, your film is The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes. Director Emma Cooper, it was such a pleasure talking with you about it, and thank you for making it. I, I really enjoyed watching it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to director Emma Cooper. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you'd like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with friends. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your audio. And make sure to follow the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You can't make this up as a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening.